you adults out there who are saying that's so dumb that's for kids you know or all you all you young people my gang who are saying ah presidents that's so boring man uh get over yourselves get over your pride okay get that chip off your shoulder Alright guys, so we're back. Despite all the awkwardness and technical difficulties of the previous episode, we're still here and we're still having a blast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, as always, subscribe uh, so you can get in, get in on all the glory, so you get the notifications and everything, all that awesome stuff. So, normally at this time, we would look at the news. So let's take a look at the news. Okay, it is all depressing, and same old thing. You know, if you guys are like me, uh, <laughs> you are probably sick of the news. It's the same old thing. Everything's about coronavirus. The sad thing is, it's people talking about nothing, because we don't know anything about this virus. And so, you're sick of it, if you're like me. And so, I thought I would use this episode as a way to talk about some things that have been going through my head things that I've been talking with friends with and family with. And one of those things that we've been talking about is the Constitution. And I've heard this already multiple times. Um, people have told me, why do you care about the Constitution so much? Why do you, you know, why do you protect it at such a cost? Like, I, I'm very outspoken about it. I'm a constitutionalist. I'm, I'm a really outspoken protector of it. There, And I was like, well, what, what's wrong with that? And they said, I've heard this already multiple times. They say, well, it's an old document. It doesn't really apply to today. You know, it has no relevance. And I was like, are you serious? I was shocked to hear that. Because the things that are written in the Constitution, like promoting the general welfare, establishing justice, ensuring domestic tranquility, providing for the common defense, all these things, all these, all these things are stuff that we're dealing with today. The Founding Fathers wrote the Constitution with the specific intent for it to be able to stand the test of time. Okay? It was a t it's a timeless, timeless piece. And to say that it is not relevant to today is very immature and ignorant, frankly. And so, you know, I, I encourage you at home to read the Constitution. Read up on it. You have nothing else to do. Okay, you're stuck at home. Might as well be productive. Do read the Constitution. It is very relevant. Okay, it is our whole government. Our whole government is based around this document. Okay, so read it. Get familiar with it. And you need to get familiar with it as an American citizen because the Constitution was written for the people to hold to use the Constitution as the standard for the government. Okay, we the people cannot break the Constitution, okay? It was written for the government, and we need to hold the government accountable, but we can't if we don't know what the Constitution is about. 
we need to be vigilant. Vigilance is important or else things like things like socialism seeps in. Yes, socialism is seeping into our country, this country of free market, liberty, freedom. Okay, there was a time when a communist candidate was not on, even on the ballot. Like, it was unheard of to have someone like Bernie Sanders on the ballot. But the problem is we're at this time in our society where we are so, we have forgotten the cost of what the founding fathers paid. We've forgotten it. And I want us to reorient ourselves. We need to. We need to make sure that we know the Constitution so that we can keep the government accountable and that we will just do our jobs as citizens. I think we'll make us better citizens if we do so. So yeah, that's my advice for you guys. Read up on the Constitution. Uh, you don't need to like take a college class on it. You don't need to like memorize it or anything. But read up on it. Okay, take it one amendment by uh, one amendment at a time. So, yeah. All right. So, here's something that I'm really excited about. I was thinking, what could we do for the podcast? What's something fun, but something educational that we could do? And I decided to use this book. It was given to me by my teacher. Uh, thank you so much, Miss Katie. Um, and it's called Your Presidential Fantasy Dream Team. This combines history, the study of history of like our presidents, and superheroes, which is which is really my thing. Let's show it to this camera right here. Boom, baby. Yeah, that's the good stuff. So, yeah. So, we're going to read through this one president at a time, you know, throughout the podcast. We're going to use one president at a time, at a time, and all you adults out there, who are saying that's so dumb? That's for kids, you know, or all you, all you young people, my gang, who are saying, "Ah, oh, presidents, that's so boring, man." Uh, get over yourselves. Get over your pride. Okay, get that chip off your shoulder. You know, learn something new in a fun way. The format for this is actually, by the way, is actually amazing. Um, it's written. It's it the the art. See right here, we got George Washington. The art for it is absolutely awesome. Really, really cool. Really fun and creative, and it's educational too. I've I've skimmed over a couple stuff, and it is truly amazing. Truly amazing. So, let's start with. And by the way, I'm gonna give my own feedback on the books. Uh, you know, if I see something wrong with it, I will call it out. And yeah, and so. Let me know in the comments what your fantasy dream team of presidents is. Basically, your fantasy dream team needs to consist of consist of the brains. Okay, so you have to pick one of the president who you'd want to be the brains in your team. You have to pick a president that could be the brawn in your team. Pick a president that is the loose cannon, the moral compass, and the Roosevelt. So those are the five five things you got to pick out. Let me know in the comments who you guys picked. So we're going to start out with the first president today, and that is, you guessed it, George W. Bush. I'm kidding. George Washington, of course. We all know good old Washington over here. So here, I'm going to show you the picture right here. 
George Washington looking ripped. Bunch of bullet holes in his jacket. Looking really cool. I'm guessing the bullet holes are the reference to when George Washington... There was a battle where George Washington had a bunch of bullet holes in his coat. And he had like two horses shot out from under him. And he was still alive. And he was like bulletproof basically. I'm guessing that's what a reference is. Uh, this reference is too. Alright, so presidential term. The president of presidents. The presidential term was 1789 to 1797. So a good solid eight years. He was offered more, but he turned it down. Uh, and because of that, there's a sort of been a tradition since then of the eight years being the cap. And so, yeah. All right, so political party, none. Uh, obviously. <laughs> political party, none. And that is obviously because when the federal U.S. federal government was first formed, there were no parties. Okay, when George Washington was president, there was no Republican or Democrat. Uh, things were a lot more straightforward back then. <laughs> uh, all right, so children, none, though he's technically the father of his country, so lots. That's, that's awesome. All right, birth date, February 22nd, 1732. Death date, December 14th, 1799. So that is... 67 67 years so he lived a good solid no wait yeah 67 years i think i don't know you guys check my math uh yeah so he's so he lived a good long life for back then the life expectancy was about that long fun fact washington is literally on money cool there are two kinds of people in this world, people who don't actively enjoy being shot at and George Washington. Most of you are probably in that first group, and that's why no one will ever put you your picture on money. So if you guys want to get your picture on money, you have to enjoy being shot at. So, tip for the day. The idea that Washington liked being shot at isn't up for, the, isn't up for debate. Mind you, mind you. No one is saying that Washington probably enjoyed being shot at because of his willingness to return to battle in service of his country. He admitted to it. In a letter to his brother about his time on the battlefield, Washington said, I heard the bullets whistle, and believe me, there's something charming in the sound. That's that's normal. You like the sound of bullets whizzing by your head? What kind of psycho are you? <laughs> anyway, uh, let's see. Do, 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 which, according to rumor, prompted King George III to remark that Washington's attitude would change if he'd heard a few more. Oh, ho, ho, perhaps you're right, Washington may have said good-naturedly with a chuckle, before he absolutely destroyed King George's entire army and ran America for eight glorious and strong-jawed years. Uh, destroyed? Absolutely destroyed King George's army? It's a little bit far-fetched. A little bit. But, you know, he's still an awesome president. But we know all that already. We all know how tough and noble, to, noble Washington was. If you studied Washington at all in school, you know that he was a good man and, and a just president, a friend to everyone and everything, with the notable exception, according to some rumors, of cherry trees. We know all this because everyone talks about how bright, strong, and fair President George Washington was. But I'm going to talk about how he was also probably magic. Okay. So, George Washington might have had magical powers. Okay, 
cool. Let's start with how Washington knew America was going to war before America even had an army. Sure, the seeds of discontent had already been sown, but war was not a foregone conclusion to anyone but Washington, even in 1775. When the Continental Congress met for the second time to discuss what to do about Great Britain's unfair taxation practices, war was an option, but not a certainty at the point. At least not in the eyes of the members of the Continental Congress. Many of the founding fathers, like Benjamin Franklin, still had great fondness for their mother country, and they were eager to find a peaceful solution with the homeland, but not Washington. Whether he could see the future and knew war was coming, or he simply willed the war into existence, Washington was ahead of the curve. On his way to the meeting, before war had been declared, or even discussed, and before he'd given command to the Continental Army, he stopped off to buy some books about war strategy, tomahawks, and new holsters for his guns. If that didn't send a clear message enough, a clear enough message, he showed up to the meeting already wearing his military uniform. While the rest of the representatives were trying to handle this whole revolution thing, delicately and diplomatically. It was like everyone else at the meeting was discussing whether or not they should build a bomb, and Washington had already lit the fuse. Yeah, Washington didn't mess around. I think what God had given him this wisdom in order to see that this war was coming, okay? He knew that compromise was not an option. They tried, okay? The Declaration of Independence was their attempt at finding peace. They sent Benjamin Franklin out there, they sent um, ambassadors and, you know, England just wouldn't budge. England was just being a huge bully. And so America just had enough of it. And I think Washington saw that coming. He knew war was inevitable and wanted to be dressed appropriately. <laughs> and of course, Washington was right. What war was necessary. Even if it wasn't necessary before, it was necessary because he said it was. For reasons that will never be clear to historians, but will be to people who accept magic as a possibility, the universe bends to Washington's will. Here's one of the most important things you need to know about Washington. He should not have been able to lead America to victory in, revolution in the Revolutionary War. When it came time to choose someone to command his, the Continental Army, Washington was chosen for his popularity, not his skills as a general. He was brave and a great soldier, but he never commanded anything larger than a regiment, and when he'd been handed an entire army of untrained, undisciplined troops, he started messing up almost immediately. He lost more battles than he won, and the majority of those la losses were a direct result of his own arrogance and over-aggressiveness. Over okay. Yes, Washington, the man we all like to remember as the quiet, dignified, reluctant soldier, was a short-tempered fighter who never turned down a battle. If you think that never turning down a battle, despite your army being terrible and untrained, is a bad strategy, congratulations, you'd make a better general than George Washington. Feel free to brag to all your friends. Um, okay, first first problem that I have with this book, he was not overly aggressive. And he was not arrogant, okay? If you read his letters, he even had this, uh, he had a, like a whole list of what a moral conduct looks like of more like of proper morality like being humble proper uh dinner uh, dinner like what's the word okay he had a whole list of like proper dinner manners and and all kinds of awesome stuff so he he was not arrogant he was someone who was humble but um 
you know, over aggressive. I don't think that either. Okay. This is sort of painting him as this like wrecking ball. No, he was not a wrecking ball. He was a careful, calculated man. Because if he had been this sort of wrecking ball that they're saying he was, they would not have won the war. Washington knew what what he what he was working with. He was working with a crappy, poopy army. Okay. You know, and they it was horrible. Like it was a ragtag, you know, ragtag group of miscreants. I don't know what else how else to describe it. It was it was horrible. But he knew what he was working with and he was careful with it. He wasn't he wouldn't just charge into everything. Yes, he made mistakes. I'm not saying he didn't make mistakes, because he did. He did make mistakes and but the fact what he was able to do with that army is amazing. And that's another thing. I think you know, we, we always say, oh my goodness, the revolution and war, like, they were so, it was so unfair. But, you know, America won, spoiler alert, America won. And the reason why I believe America won is because the British were fighting for a paycheck and America was fighting for, the American people were fighting for their lives and their country. And so there was a more of a determination. There was more of a there's more of a drive, and that is why America won. And that is why America has come to the place where it was. America is um is it has been from its conception a country of underdogs who have come here because they have dreams and they're willing to fight for those dreams. And that and back to the Constitution thing. That's why we got to defend the Constitution, because the Constitution is defending those values of freedom that were that people died for. So, yeah, there's a little bit of a story to that. <laughs> Unlike most soldiers and indeed most sane human beings, Washington didn't see a battle as means to an end or as an unfortunate but necessary part of achieving his uh, achieving important goals. He saw it as a chance to show his enemies how brave and strong he and his army were. He treat every challenge from his opponents, oppo- opponents like, not like a necessary evil that needed to be stopped as quickly as possible, but like a personal attack on him. Okay, as if the, hold on, but like a personal attack, as if the opposing army were just pointing at Washington and balking like a chicken. After being called a chicken, Instead of calming using, uh, instead of calmly using the timeless and brilliant "I'm rubber and you're glue" strategy, Washington overreacted and sent his exhausted and unskilled army after every insult. In case you've never led an army before, you should know that this is a bad strategy, especially when your po- opponent is stronger, larger, and more experienced as Great Britain was. Excuse me. Um. Again, this is a little bit overblown. Washington, if what if this is true, Washington would have lost the war. Plain and simple. Uh, this sort of recklessness did not does not fit who Washington was. This overaggressive strategy blew up in Washington's face over and over again. And many times during the war, it seemed that Americans' favorite son was too arrogant and reckless to bring us to victory. Indeed, Washington rarely won battles. He mostly just survived using strategic retreat. If that sounds like a fancy, classy way of saying running away, that's because it is. Again, kind of a little off. So how did it happen? How did an inexperienced commander with an unfocused and untrained army equipped with... Anyway, okay, I'm going to stop judging for a little bit. (laughs) Unfocused and untrained army equipped with a mostly runaway bravely approach to warfare win the most important war in American history. The short answer, again, 
is probably magic. Washington firmly believed that providence or fate was on his side, and everything he did in the way that war was declared because Washington walked into a room and said war was declared. Washington won the war because he said he was going to. That's how Washington could look at his loss after loss and think, huh, that's weird, I'm supposed to win. I guess no one told that to these guys. No matter, I'll just go ahead and win it now. And he did. Uh, yes, providence, God's providence. God's hand was with Washington the whole time. God used this brilliant leader to accomplish amazing things. Not magic, obviously. To all those of you wondering, Washington was not magic. He had God's hand. Okay, I believe that God God blessed America. God bless America. You know what I mean? He He blessed it. He blessed America by giving us George Washington. And so, yeah. Not overnight, obviously, Washington gradually became a much better commander, which probably comes to no surprise as to you because you know that, spoiler alert, America won its independence and we, independence and we named a ton of stuff after Washington. Washington's tyranny of will didn't just determine the outcome of the war, it also saved his life. Washington would re return from many battles on harm, but with bullet holes in his clothing or without a horse. I mentioned that earlier. Two different horses were shot out from under Washington twice in the same battle. This happened so many times that George Washington proclaimed on more than one occasion that he could not be killed in battle. He genuinely believed it. And the crazy part? We have no way to prove him wrong. That's how the first commander won a war against the most powerful army and naval navy in the world sheer blind belief not quite blind but okay washington said he was going to win and he did his strategic retreat retreat policy ended up really paying off washington knew that he was outnumbered and that his enemy had better training but he also knew that his enemy had to deal with the annoying cost of shipping thousands of soldiers across the sea to fight the smartest thing washington could do was just keep his mar army alive and around as long as they were actively fighting, Great Britain would have to maintain its presence and keep up this very expensive war, even if Washington troops kept running away. You know, that's that's interesting. You know, the American Revolution changed warfare, how warfare was fought. The British, during the American Revolution, the British fought the war as people had done for many years. You know, sort of like very disciplined, very, like, everyone stood in long lines, took turns firing. You've seen the movies. I'm sure you guys have know. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, and they had a very, very, you know, they would march in columns and everything. But the way the Americans fought against the British during the American Revolution was more of a espionage kind of style, like an assassin. They would hide in bushes. They would wear camouflage. Uh, opposed to the British and their red, bright red coats with their white lapels and gold buttons and everything. Yeah, it would, they, they were like targets. I mean, the bright side is that you wouldn't see the blood when the British bled. But, you know, yeah, so warfare was changed through American Revolution. That's how a first-time commander won a war against the most powerful army, and... Navy in the world. Sheer blind... Okay, wait, we already read all that away. Okay, in the winter of 1777, Washington brought his army to a military camp in Pennsylvania Valley Forge. Hey, Pennsylvania. Back then, it was generally understood that battles would mostly only be waged from spring to autumn, with all armies generally agreeing that winter was just too cold for fighting. This meant that Washington... They would just do a timeout during winter. You know what I mean? It's like dodgeball. 
All right, time out, time out. You know, we we got let's take a break for winter. Water break, quick water break. Uh, all right. <clears throat> this meant that wa- okay, understood the bat. Okay, back then it was generally understood that the battles mostly only be waged from spring to autumn, with all armies generally agreeing that winter was just too cold for fighting. This meant that Washington had a few months at Valley Forge. Excuse me, Valley Forge to regroup without fearing any attack from the British. While his enemies were relaxing up in Philadelphia with heat and plenty of food, Washington recruited Baron Friedrich Wilhelm von Steuben. I hope I'm pronouncing that right because that is an awesome name. A very experienced Prussian drill master to train the ragtag Continental Army into a fearsome fighting machine. They entered Valley Forge sick, cold, exhausted, and with close to no resources. Many of the soldiers did not even have shoes. That is rough. And that is sort of an echo of the civil war with uh with the south you know the south had the same thing where they were fighting for their country and for their lives or for their side um and they were fighting for their lives and so they had a lot more of a drive whereas the north was fighting for a paycheck but it was this sort of the same kind of style here but thanks to washington and better in von steuben they came out to the other side trained. I don't care what, how you pronounce his name. That's how I'm going to pronounce it from now on. But thanks to Washington, okay, they came out the other side trained, rested, and ready. And not only did the soldiers now have more supplies and resources, but they also had the added confidence of having just survived one of the worst winters of their lives. They were tough, and they knew it. After that, the British didn't really stand a chance. You know the rest. America won the war, Washington became the first, and so far only president elected unanimously, which is amazing. Okay, which shows that uh, George Washington was something special. And the American people saw it. He proved it time and time again. And that's why he was elected unanimously. You know the, okay. And he and his wife, Martha, got to work on running America. Martha was a perfect match for George. Charming and serious and noble, and at all times completely aware of the important import of her husband. And she was do and wait, import of what her husband and she were doing together. A lot of people at at the time said that George's smartest political move was marrying Martha. Yeah, you know, my immature side always says, don't get married. No, I don't want to get married. I want to be a loose cannon, just do my own thing. But, you know, I think that men do need to get married. Like, like people people need to get married unless, like my mom says, unless you're given the gift of singleness, you should get married because a good wife really will see you through. I think, you know, I, I can't, I think all of the presidents were, ma- except for maybe Buchanan, I had to look it up. Don't quote me on this, but I believe almost, I think every president was, was married. Reagan being the only one that was divorced, and and now Trump actually, and uh, yeah, so I, it's important to have a, you know, a good woman on your side, so. But not now. I'm 16, so yeah. A lot of people at that time said that George's smartest political move was marrying Martha, who came from a great family and was the richest woman in Virginia. When they met, marrying Martha. When they met, Mary Virginia. When they met. Marrying Martha raised Washington's own status, increased his wealth, and made him a member of the aristocracy. Like everything else George and Martha did, it, 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 is, it also set an interesting precedent. George married the richest woman in town, and since then, not one president has ever married beneath his station. 
most have married above. Our presidents, even the notoriously humble ones like Abraham, Log, Cabin, Lincoln, went after aristocrats and the daughters of the richest parents in town. Lyndon Johnson exclusively courted the daughters of the three richest men in Texas. Some presidents fell in love with women beneath their station, but they didn't marry them. Does this speak to a broader trend about presidents always trying to marry up in an obsessive quest for power and status? Or did everyone else just copy Washington because he was so cool and they wanted to press his ghost? I think that the first one is probably the right one. The world may never know, but probably the first thing. Yeah, Washington's presidency was both underwhelming and overwhelming. On the one hand, nothing huge happened. America wasn't invaded by outside attackers. There wasn't a natural disaster. and There wasn't a huge natural strike of any kind. There was no civil war or economic collapse or any of the other big moments that can define most presidencies. On the other hand, everything that happened was huge. Because everything Washington did set a precedent because it was the first time any president did it. He served two terms because he felt like only serving two terms. And that's why there's a two-term limit today, exceeded only once by FDR before it became an official law. He created a cabinet with the offices of the Secretary of State, the Secretary of the Treasury, the Secretary of War, and the Attorney General, General. And we still have those jobs today. He came up with the idea of a cabinet because having a group of trusted advisors, all with very different opinions, appealed to him. And we have never looked back. In his farewell address to the nation before leaving office, he cautioned against people getting too involved and wrapped up in the affairs of other countries. Amen. Amen. Guys, we are way too entangled with other countries. I think the UN is a sham and thing, and the way that we're depending on like the... Uh, Middle East countries for oil and stuff like that. That kind of stuff is probably making George Washington do somersaults in his grave. And he urged people to focus on maintaining America's strength and individualism. My goodness, this guy is a conservative. That set the tone for foreign affairs in America forever. Well, yeah. We are still hearing echoes of that sentiment today. Echoes. I wish it was full out yelling. Everything that Washington did was a first, and we all listened carefully because everyone listens to Washington. Even death waited on Washington's orders before finally claiming his soul for that big battlefield in the sky. In December of 1799, Washington fell ill, and a team of doctors tried for hours to restore himself. Having decided that he'd spend enough time being the best at being alive, Washington decided to try his hand at fighting ghosts, and he sent the doctors away, telling them to give up. The doctors could have at least tried to keep him alive for a little bit longer, but Washington had had enough. On his deathbed, Washington told the side Tobias Lear, I'm just going, and he died while taking his own pulse. You can almost see death quietly sitting in Washington's room, waiting for permission to take his life. You'd be crazy not to want Washington on your presidential fantasy dream team. Not only is one of not only is he one of the tougher, luckier, and more magical presidents, but it's also pretty likely that Washington is the only man capable of leading a team of action presidents. If you are building an elite squad of accomplished heroes with enormous egos, you're going to want someone with the ability to command anyone's respect at the helm. Washington is your man. There it is, guys. So, one of the first candidates for your dream team. Again, let me know those five things that I mentioned earlier. Who you want to be on your dream team of presidents. We gotta do this. And uh yeah, you know, Washington is a legend. Okay, he 
we have named so many, like you mentioned, we named so many things after him. Okay, DC, the money, the monuments, the the everything, everything. And we owe a lot to him. And he, you know, he's respected and rightly so. And so I think, and I think he's a role model. His integrity, his dependence on God was just amazing and inspirational. And I really, really respect the man. So, yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. And be sure to subscribe. See you next time.